You're listening to Bethany Radio. More content is available on iTunes or online at BethanyBibleLeroy.com. Let's turn to uh, Joshua chapter 5 again. Maybe you're already there. Chapter 5, we're going to be finishing that this week in verses 13 through 15. Joshua 5, 13 through 15. I do have one picture today. Had a couple turned in. Malachi, thank you for this from last week. Uh, We've got the artwork here going and uh, celebrating the Passover in Canaan is is where we were. They had crossed over, they had been circumcised, and then they celebrated on the 14th this this Passover and remembering the blood that that had covered and and this time of worship before going in uh, to really conquer this land. And so there's the family there. So thank you, Malachi, for all the little details in there. Appreciate that. And Others, uh, you can see, thankfully, there's a place now for the pictures, again, to be up on the wall. They're in the back. Um, again, as you're checking your mailbox, you're, you're looking at the wall. There's some other pictures uh, by the kids back there you can, you can check out. So let's go ahead and read the Word of God, Joshua 5. We'll pick it up now at verse 13. Hear from the, the Lord. When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, No. But I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Let me pray again for us. Lord, we, uh, we thank you for this time to worship in song this morning and to hear from Second Timothy, to know whom we have believed in, and you are faithful to guard what you have begun in us. Uh, Thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness, your covenant faithfulness. Lord, I thank you for your faithfulness of Thelma over the years. And though not having met her, I can see by her correspondence her desire to see the gospel, to see Christ be made known in the regions where he is not. And so we thank you for her legacy. Thank you that she knew you and And for, Lord, I don't know her extended family, but I pray as arrangements are made, you would just help all the travel and all those things to to go smoothly. And, Lord, really in that service, that, again, your name would be proclaimed even to another generation and to those that don't know you, and that uh, you would just bless her work for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of your name. Lord, as we begin to look into these verses and some harder areas in here, I just pray, Lord, for your understanding today. Pray that the words that I say would convey clarity to the text and that, Lord, from the text you would draw our eyes, much like Joshua, we would lift our eyes and look and behold our God. And so guide our time now in your word. We pray for your Holy Spirit to open our eyes, help us to see what we need to see in here. Lord, uncover areas in our life to yield to you. And we pray this in your name. Amen. In light of what we've read here in Joshua chapter 5, what we've just read, let me make a statement here. 
something like this. Your worship is shaped by who it is you see standing before you. Your worship is shaped by who it is you see standing before you. Think about God this way. If you see God before you as kind of powerless, he kind of keeps changing rules, he's maybe distant, he seems unconnected to your life, seems hard to understand, maybe just know him of his law and commands. If this is how you view who God is, your worship is going to be less than worship. For you find no, you know, the basis of the word worship is worth. You find no worth in him. And so you're praising, it's, you find no worth in who you're praising or who you're singing to or who you're desiring to obey. Your worship is shaped by who it is you see standing before you. So I want to use a human illustration just to illustrate this. The worth you place on someone shapes your response to them. Uh, it shapes it. Who, the worth you place is going to shape your response. So when someone speaks, we listen to the authority we perceive comes from them. Um, I asked my kids if I could share this. So I want to lay that out. Illustrations I share of my kids Lord willing, I check with them before I do that. So you're not, they're not back there going, thanks, Dad, you know, for using us, you know, whatever. Uh, just this week, we had an instance where I told Madeline to convey an idea to Harrison. And I said, Madeline, here's, you know, I'm going to do this. And she conveyed the idea to Harrison. A couple seconds later, you know, I didn't speak directly to Harrison. A couple seconds later, Harrison comes and says, Dad, did you say that? Right? It's... Madeline passed on the message to Harrison, but it was, it's Madeline. And as sweet as she is, it's Madeline. And so takes her word a little less than, well, Dad, did you say that? And we had another instance last night with the M&Ms. You know, we were getting into the M&Ms. Well, did Mom say you could have the m M&M? and I mean, it matters who said who could have the M&Ms. So do you get the idea? Who says it? The authority that, that's there has the weight um, in terms of listening to it. There's a weight to the words in, in our house of Hannah and I. There's a weight to who's speaking. It's the same elsewhere. We tend to, I think, respond in a situation based on the worth, what we perceive the person speaking. In Joshua today, we see a response that's perfectly in line with just who Joshua sees before him. Joshua's worship is being shaped by who it is he sees standing before him. And it's shaping who he is, what he's doing. And so the beginning of verse 13 gives the setting here. And we find Joshua somewhere, don't know where, somewhere on the outskirts of of Jericho. Um, Perhaps he's out there by himself. Maybe some say he's praying. He's maybe having a time of prayer. Uh, some even said, well, maybe he's in his mind, he's kind of in Jericho, that sort of idea. I, I think he's physically somewhere out near, beyond the camp of Israel, by himself. Maybe he's doing some recon- reconnaissance, you know, check out, observe Jericho, what's it looking like on this day. Whatever the case, we read that he lifted up his eyes and he looked, and there before him was a man. The text describes this man had a sword. And not just a sword in the sheath, but a a drawn sword before Joshua. So if you can get an image, 
and drawers here, you're going to have some images for today. So this man is before Joshua with a drawn sword before him. Here's Joshua looking and seeing this man. I don't know about you, but that's not a very comfortable position to be in. Maybe Joshua is different. He's been in the battles and and that sort of thing. Maybe it's more normal. But for us, a drawn sword is a bit alarming or scary. I had my sister-in-law is a pharmacist, uh, works part-time, and years ago at a pharmacy she was at, she was held up by gunpoint. It was, she didn't walk away going, that was sure fun. It was, it was scary. There's a fear going on. We don't know, in Joshua's mind, perhaps maybe not as frightening, but we find here in the Scripture that Joshua went to him. It says that, the next sentence, Joshua went to this person. And he was strong, I think, and courageous. He walks up to him, takes some courage to this person that could. Maybe he's an enemy, maybe not. But that's where Joshua then asks this first question, and he says, are you for us or for them, essentially? If you're into an outline and your notes and you're thinking through this, and even if not, I think there's two sections in this as we get into kind of the tail end of verse 13 and and taking us through 15, a a repetitive type, um, how how the text flows. There's a question of Joshua. This one is, are you for us or are you for our adversaries? There's a question Joshua poses. Next, there's a statement. This person, this man is going to respond with a statement. We'll call it a, a truth statement. There's truth that's spoken. And then Joshua responds to that. So question of Joshua, true statement, Joshua responds. This is the first one. Then there will be another one. Then Joshua will have another question, another true statement, and another response of Joshua. So for your outline, it's question, truth, action, question, truth, action. That sort of way going through here twice. So Joshua wants to know, who is this man fighting for? The, the question really is, are you friend or foe? At this point, all that Joshua can see is a man with a drawn sword, and he needs to know, whose side are you on? Seems like a good question. He wants to know, who's he up against? Are you for us or for our adversaries? And then the answer comes in verse 14. And the answer is no. And we go, what? <laughs> we, what answer is no? Let me give you a little Hebrew background. I'm going to teach you a Hebrew word right here. The Hebrew word for no is the Hebrew word lo. So if you can say lo, you can speak Hebrew. Lo means no. That's kind of catchy, okay? However, the Hebrew word to say to him is also the word lo. So you can say lo and mean no, or you can say lo and you can mean to him. It's the way it's built and those sorts of things. So the text here, trying to figure out, does this just mean that uh, this man with the drawn sword, did he say no or did he say just to him? So like verse 14 would say, and he said to him, I'm the commander. I mean, that would flow a lot easier and make it a lot easier because we wouldn't have to figure out what the no means. But I don't think that's what's here. I think based on some of the grammar, the punctuation, we won't get into all that. I think we're, I'm inclined to go with the, the low meaning no. This is the real answer. 
Oftentimes in translation, as you're looking at various texts and trying to figure out, often it's said the harder translation is the one to go with. If it's harder, go with it. Why? Because if it's hard, scribes later on would say, man, this doesn't, this is hard to read or hard to understand. Let's just change low to, to the other low, and maybe that's what was going on and that sort of thing. So the harder is usually best to go with. So why not? Let's go with the hard. No. So what is this saying? Think about, let's look at the full answer here of Joshua's question. Are you with us or with our adversaries? Let me read verse 14. And he said, no. Okay, and now the explanation, no. But I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. The answer is no. And then the man, immediately he identifies himself as the commander of the army of the Lord. Of the Lord, and so here's the true statement, like we talked about. Question: True statement. This is not the commander of the army of Israel or the commander of the army of the Canaanites. This is the commander of the Lord's army. I did a quick search on the Lord of Hosts or the Lord of Armies. That word comes up 242 times, at least in my search in the Scriptures, that He is the Lord of armies. He's the Lord of hosts. And so here is the commander of the hosts, really, of the Lord. I think the no here, see if you can understand, the no here has the sense of the lordship of God. When he says no, there's a sense of God's lordship. God is neither for Jericho, the Canaanites, nor necessarily for Israel in the sense that he's behind their cause. Now, We'll explain some of that, because, but here's kind of the statement. God is truly behind God's cause first and foremost. That's who God's behind, his glory. God is, in fact, he's only on God's side. Now, Israel, they're the, they're the people of promise, and so they're God's chosen people. Okay, so he's with them. We know from Joshua we've read, God is with them. But it's not because he's in awe of them. Last week we read Deuteronomy 9, 5 through 6. I'll read it again. This is what is said to Israel. Not because of your righteousness or the uprightness of your heart are you going in to possess their land, but because of the wickedness of these nations, the Lord your God is driving them out from before you, and that he may confirm the word that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Know, therefore, that the Lord your God is not giving you this good land to possess because of your righteousness, for you are a stubborn people. Okay? So, yes, God, in one sense, he's on the side of Israel, for he's with them. But I think the clarifying here from this word, no, is that God is really for God's glory, his name to be proclaimed. He's accomplishing that through the people of Israel. More than once in my study, it was brought out this quote from Abraham Lincoln from the Civil War when somebody asked him, I think it's a famous quote, but they asked him, well, is God on your side or whose side is God on in this Civil War conflict? And here was Abraham Lincoln's response. And I think it it ties into this, which is why they bring it up so much. He says, my concern is not whether God is on our side. My greatest concern is to be on God's side, for God is always right. And I I think that gives us 
the idea and the understanding of this word, no. I'm not, yes, I'm with you, but I'm, I'm, on, I'm on my, this is me. I'm commander of the army. Something bigger than Israel here. It's my glory that's going forward, not your righteousness. So we have this statement, no, I'm the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I've come. It's a statement of truth. It identifies this man with the drawn sword before Joshua. But let me insert something here. The question is, so who is this? Who is really before Joshua? Who's this commander of the army of the Lord? That's a good question, one to kind of wrestle through just how to identify this. Is this, is this an angel? Perhaps this is an angelic uh, appearance here. Or is it God himself before Joshua? I'm going to give you four, just they're kind of brief, okay? not even a page long, four brief reasons. Here's why I think this is a, and we're going to learn a word you've heard before, hopefully, theophany or a Christophany. This is a, a physical appearance or personal appearance of God called a theophany. That would be theo-God or Christophany, appearance of Christ. I'm going to give you four reasons um, why I think that's what's going on, a physical appearance of the Lord himself before Joshua. Now, this is ground where some are dis- going to disagree. They're going to say, no, that's not the presence of God it's, or the pre-incarnate Christ. Maybe it's an angel like Michael. Uh, that could be. I'm just going to give you four. Here's my... I lean heavily in this direction, okay, of why I think this is God himself. Hopefully it's helpful. Number one, there's no command when Joshua bows down. And so we're using, you know, we're not to these verses yet, but we're, we read the passage together. There's, when Joshua bows down and worship, this man with the drawn sword does not say, don't worship me. Other places that's mentioned, Revelation uh, 19, Revelation 22, John himself bows to this angel that's giving him um, this message and he, and he bows down to him and this angel says, you must not do that. Kind of rebukes him. He says, the angel says, I'm a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, with those who keep the words of this book. That angel says, worship God. So here in Joshua, when he kneels, when he bows in worship, there's no, hey, don't, don't do that. I'm not God. Okay, that's, that's one. Number two there's a strong connection to Moses and the burning bush of Exodus 3 here. Back in Exodus 3, you've got Moses before that, that burning uh, bush that never goes out. Moses is told to take off his sandals for the place on which you're standing is holding ground. And there God reveals himself to Moses as the I Am. It's the scene of God speaking with Moses, I think there's an idea more more there than a mere angel speaking to Moses. And so the connection here, Joshua, faces the same requirement in verse 15 to remove his sandals. This is holy ground. There's something to this that it's holy. This is not just a messenger, kind of like the, uh, Gabriel coming to Mary, that sort of idea. There's something different. The command of the army is Lord here. Okay, that's two. Number three, the context of Joshua 6. I know we're not there yet, but Joshua 6, 2. I think there's a connection. What we're reading here is the initial conversation. Joshua 6 just continues that. We, you know, we're in our English, but we're looking at a big letter, or big number 6 there that thinks this is just another 
Maybe another day. That's what it makes me think of. This is just another day. I think it's the same time. goes back to talk about Jericho being shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. Verse 2, And the Lord said to Joshua, Yahweh said to Joshua, See, I've given Jericho into your hand. I, I think these are connected conversations. It's not one day this and one day that. I think there's a connection there. And so that, that makes me think this commander of the Lord's army is something more than an, an angelic message. Okay, fourth is Revelation 19. I do want you to go there. So just take a big chunk of your Bible, head to the right, head to Revelation chapter 19, verse 11. And I think this really uh, is helpful in terms of identifying who is before Joshua. We'll start in 11. John here, he's on the island of Patmos. He's given visions of the end. and, And I know Revelation, it's an area of difficulty to discern at times just what's going on. But we do know this, according to Revelation 1.1, it talks about the revelation of Jesus Christ. And then what follows are the things that, are, that will take place. I think Revelation, it's about Jesus Christ, this book, and what will take place. And so look at, look at chapter 19, verse 11 through 16 and connect it to where we're at. It says, Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. Sounding like a commander here. Verse 12, his eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. This is Christ here, a picture of Christ. 14, and the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. The sound to you like a commander of the Lord's army. It does to me. So I lean heavily here. I think in the action of Joshua, back in Joshua 5, he recognizes this messenger of the Lord. And so he responds to him. Much like we talked about who it is shapes, who it is before us shapes our response. If you head back to Joshua 5, we find Joshua <clears throat> at the end of verse 14, falling on his face to the earth and worshipped. Here Joshua <clears throat> gets an answer of no. And instead of Joshua going back and saying, um, that didn't quite answer my question, I was a friend, foe, and he's not arguing back with, with the Lord really here. He's not saying I don't understand. He's just saying, He realizes who's before him. He knows who it is. It's God himself, I believe, and he bows in worship. This is the commander of the army of the Lord before Joshua. He's come. God has come. And so Joshua bows in adoration, and he proclaims the worth of the one who is before him. 
I don't think it's coincidence here. Again, we see a pattern of worship before anything else, of proclamation, of praise to the one that's before Joshua of the Lord. In this case, I think a Christophany of Christ here before Joshua, a pattern of worship. And then out of that worship flows this next question. So, okay, question, truth, action. Now we're back to the question of Joshua. Here's his next question at the end of 14. His worship leads him to say what? I worship you. What do you want me to do? What's your word to me? What do you have for me? So there's a pattern again, this question True statement. Let me read verse 15 then and the answer. So Joshua asked this, seeing the Lord before him, acknowledging I'm a servant. What does my Lord say to his servant? Verse 15, the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take off your sandals from your feet for the place where you are standing is holy. And so Joshua did so. Take off your sandals from your feet. That really, this place, Joshua, where you stand, it's holy. It's a holy place. And what makes it holy? Not because it's a special part of ground. It's the one who's standing there that makes it holy. It's the holy God before Joshua. He makes it holy. So where he is, there's holiness. And so the word then is to the command, this true statement, take off your sandals from your feet. So what did that indicate? We're... I think most of us have our shoes on. We didn't take them off at the door, so we're a little bit out of custom of what this means, what did it indicate. I think there's a couple things. Uh, One commentary spoke of respect or reverence. Um, A lot of other nations, I think, are more prone to do this. Uh, You know, take your shoes off at the door, that sort of thing. Um, Some of your homes might be that way. This idea of respect, reverence. Matthew Henry says this. He says, we're accustomed to say of a person for whom we have a great affection that we love the very ground he treads upon. Thus, Joshua must show his reverence for this divine person. He must not tread the ground he stood on with his dirty shoes. It's kind of like the saying, you know, boy, you seem to worship the ground he walks on. Literally, Joshua is not worshiping that ground, but he's saying this ground is holy Jesus here, even saying, ground is holy. The commander of the army, it's holy. Take off your sandals. God is worthy of the worship. And I think also there's a a symbol here in the taking off of the sandals, a symbol of holiness. I mean, you've probably noticed the bottom of your shoe is not the cleanest place on earth. And I find myself thinking more, I don't know why, thinking more and more about this as I head into public places or restrooms or those sorts of things that you just think, this is just the bottom of the shoes. Think of all the places it goes. It's a lot of places. There, there's a sense of defilement, you know, of, of uncleanness, at least to the bottom of our shoes. There's a lot of stuff in there. And I, I think it, this here, taking off the shoes, it's an outward symbol. I don't think it taking off makes the person, but it, it's an outward symbol that says there's defilement and there, there's an idea of being pure. For Joshua, this was a miniature holy place, a place that could not be defiled by by the dust of the earth. This is God he's before. 
Another reason why I think here's the Lord is before him. So Joshua removes his sandals as he recognizes God's holiness before him. And so there's the question, what do you say? Instead of all the, I mean, he's going to get into the idea about Jericho and all these sorts of things. But first the commander says, just take off your sandals. You're standing on holy ground. And Joshua doesn't argue with him, doesn't say, I thought you'd have something more, a little more direction about the battle, all these sorts of things. He just takes them off. He stands there and he worships the Lord. As we kind of close and we'll look one more place of Scripture, question here, who had come before Joshua? Who was before him? Remember we said, who it is before shapes our worship. Who had come? Well, the I am had come. The true commander of the army of the Lord. Just a little recap. The one who bears the sword had come. The one who's for his own glory above any other glory had come. The one who has all rule and authority, he had come. The one who's worthy of worship had come. The one who speaks to his servants had come, and the one who is holy had come. So this morning, we're going to practice taking our shoes off. Don't do that literally. All right, guys in the front row, just we're going to practice it in our mind removing our sandals and really gazing and enjoying the worth of, I believe, the same one before Jesus, this Lord, our Jesus Christ. So I want you to turn, lastly, back to Revelation. Maybe you're still there. I want you to turn to Revelation chapter 5. I'm going to read the chapter for you. Revelation 5, 1 through 14, we're going to read it. And I just want you to gaze upon the one who is worthy. There's a song out by Andrew Peterson that asked the question, is he worthy? And I've, if you're on Facebook, I've posted it there. To li- I would encourage you this afternoon, listen to it and be encouraged of, of the one who is worthy. But it's based on this chapter, and so let me read it to you. As we, in a sense, take off our shoes, stand before the Lord, and look on this worthy one. Here's what it says at Revelation 5. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. We know who this is, right? With seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. 
And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. Your worship is shaped by who it is you see standing before you. Let me exhort you today that the one who stood before Joshua is holy and all-powerful and worthy of all glory. He's righteous. He's just. He's eternal. He's our creator. He's the sustainer of all life. He's the only way of salvation for sinful man. And by His blood, the blood of Jesus, He ransomed, He buys back a people for God. And so He is worthy of our worship. May our lives bow before King Jesus. May we remove what sandals we are wearing of the world and its desires and then walk before our God in praise and holiness. Let's pray together. Lord, as you revealed yourself to Joshua, as he looked up with his eyes, or he he went up with his eyes and looked, and there he saw you. So, Lord, enlighten the eyes of our hearts to see you. I pray for each one in this room, whether they're young or old or in the middle, Lord, enlighten hearts to see your glory. Lord, we want our worship here not to just be worshipped through simple words on a screen or anything repetitive in nature that would take us away from true worship. So, Lord, enlighten the eyes of our heart to see who you are again, that you're worthy, worthy as the lamb that was slain to receive glory and honor and blessing. And then, Lord, may our lives reflect the one of authority that we're worshiping, that we walk before you, that we cast off the sandals of the world, if it were, and and walk with you in holiness by your Spirit. Lord, encourage us as a church. Encourage each one here, Lord. I just pray if they don't know you as Savior, if they've not been redeemed and purchased, or that they look by faith today and trust in Jesus, repenting from sin.